you know, when having tests takes you twice as long as not having tests, you can talk yourself out of doing tests. I would say that's one of the defining culture aspects of our team is that interaction with each other, the expectation of collaboration, and understanding that there's no one who can hero the thing on their own. We have to talk to each other to understand the, the other outlying pieces of where an actual challenge might be. Hi, I'm Eden Fulgo, and you're listening to How It's Tested, a monthly series where we discuss great products, how they're tested, and other stories from the testing community, featuring interviews with tech leaders, founders, testing experts, and creators. How It's Tested is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor in developer-first startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you would like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Team Mobot. That's T-E-A-M-M-O-B-O-T. Today, I'm speaking with Dave Lewis, Mobot's very own head of engineering. Hi, Dave. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Of course. Happy to be here, Eden. I wanted to explain a little bit to our audience, uh, you know, why are we doing this special guest episode with you? Well, we've gotten some questions from some of our listeners. They want to know a little bit more about our team here at Mobot, what we do, especially because everyone knows that we build fun robots that do cool stuff. So I am actually going to be doing a separate founding story episode about the early days of Mobot with Jeremy Carrado, our CTO. But in the meantime, thought it would be great to also get your perspective, Dave, as you're our head of engineering and you oversee a lot of interesting projects and initiatives here at our company. And also you have a very interesting background where you've worked at a number of large companies and small, small startups, very early stage startups, you know, at around the same stage as Mobot even earlier. And you've seen a lot of different stories, uh, good and bad ups and downs that I think really, you know, gives you a unique perspective on what makes a good engineering team, what makes good best practices, what is your philosophy on testing. So would love to cover a lot of that today in this episode. But maybe to kind of kick us off, Dave, uh, would love for you to give maybe an introduction about yourself uh, and what you did before joining Mobot, um, you know, and just a little bit about your your career so far. Sure. I kind of fell into the industry because computers were interesting. I was in the right place at the right time as the web was taking off in the 90s. And it didn't really require qualifications beyond knowing what the web was to get a job in the field. And I had done coding in college, so I knew how to program, but I hadn't been a computer science major, so I didn't think of myself as like a software engineer. In fact, I interviewed for a testing internship at Microsoft my senior year. And, you know, at that time, that was, it was definitely an interview about how would you test things manually. I was asked, how would you test a new toaster? And really the point was, can you think about the different ways that things fail? So then the first couple companies I worked at, very, very early stage companies. One was a fantasy sports website. Another was based on audio video search technology. So very different from each other technology-wise and market-wise. But they were both small engineering teams, early building product. And I would say our testing strategies for both of those are about what you would expect. 
especially 20 years ago in that, you know, before a release, there was, you know, a list of things to go. Someone would go and test. It was not necessarily an engineer's job to do the testing. It was kind of this handover of like, okay, the build's ready to go out. So go through and go through all these test cases. And it was the kind of situation where like we were deploying once a week. So like, oh, it's build Wednesday. Almost nothing happens today because all we do is build and test and fix and build and test and fix and then try to get things out to production. And that was kind of, you know, the world as I saw it and understood it at that point. You know, I knew how to think about edge cases, but the idea of testing as an automated part of really as a software product was not on my radar. It was around that time that I first started to see, at least within the Java community, what I think of as test ng, just the very beginnings and my exposure to unit tests. You know, that wasn't anything that I had ever learned anywhere. So it was very much starting from scratch of like, what is a unit test? You know, there's lots of conversation out there about definitions between unit tests or integration tests. And, you know, none of that mattered to me at that point. It was just like, oh, you could have a program that tests stuff. And, oh, wow, you could run that all the time. That's really interesting. And that was just such a new idea to me. And then, you know, as the industry evolved and then terms like test-driven development certainly reached the software development mainstream, even at what I think of as like the small scrappy startups, you know, it was really even described as a way to be more effective, more productive, not a like nice to have or an indulgence at a big company to have lots of test coverage, but in fact, a faster, better way for small teams to develop. So this was in the 2000s. And I think that really changed the way I thought about reliability. You know, just the role of automation and computers beyond the product itself, but handling lots of things that were otherwise manual, you know, I think as the tools have really improved and the frameworks and just the general practices of folks, it's so easy now to add tests to your code. There's so much more the idea that you can use tests as a definition of spec, as a way of communicating expected behavior. It's just been really interesting. And now I get to be at Mobot where testing is what we do. And one of the things I really enjoy beyond the fact that there are robots at Mobot is this challenge of representing the real world embeddedness of devices and interactions, seeing how different companies, different solutions are using that hardware, uh, the sensors, the location, whatever it is, to do something that's totally, totally new. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. That's a super helpful overview of just like your career so far and also just like what kind of led you to your role at Mobot today. What's really interesting to me is I remember a couple of years ago when you and I first met, you were leading engineering at a seed stage startup. And previously to this, you've worked at companies like Envision and Birchbox and like really big names. So you've seen engineering teams like big and small. Do you feel like there's a certain threshold that a team or readiness that an engineering team has to kind of hit before it makes sense to invest in testing or good DevOps practices or platform engineering or just like even reorienting a team? Like what are sort of like some of the phases or, or milestones that you feel like a, a, an engineering team has to go through in terms of their journey together? I think one of the exciting things about the way technology 
has evolved is that now with a one-person company, you would have great testing coverage. You would expect a lot of these pieces. There's not this sense of like, oh, we don't need to test until we have five people. It's the way good software is created now. And there are so many different benefits, especially because the maintenance becomes more lightweight. You know, when having tests takes you twice as long as not having tests, you can talk yourself out of doing tests. But if it is just a little bit of overhead to keep things up to date, or even better, if it's a way that lets you feel more comfortable with the with the code that you're writing, or that helps you guide guide you even to an implementation or a solution. Like I said, I think 20 years ago, you would have said, like, oh, when do we hire a QA tester? Oh, you know, maybe if we have a whole team of 10 engineers, you might say, but then you're still trying to figure out, well, we would rather hire one engineer or one QA tester. Can we just get by? There's a lot of that conversation because it still meant someone manually testing. And it's very easy for there to be disconnect between a manual tester and the product. And certainly the way that the engineering team thinks about the product. It's very common, I would say even still today, that if you have a manual QA team, that the first reaction of an engineering team when a bug is reported is like, no, that's not really true. Probably there's some miscommunication or misunderstanding, you know. It takes a while to validate that there was a bug. And sometimes it is the case that, you know, the test case wasn't, is written in a different perspective. And so something wasn't done or the behavior did do what it was supposed to do, but even though it was confusing. So I think in that gap, I think it's still interesting that, like I said, like even as robot as we're doing, we see that with our customers, that gap, you know, that skepticism, or, or actually we put it the other way, confidence in your own application of like, I've written it, I know it works. I don't believe that these things are failures because I wrote them to succeed. I've seen them work. You know, I've tested it. I did something. You know, I had unit tests. We have automated tests. And something that I think was a big transition five to, to 10 years ago was how do we start having QA engineers, not manual QAs? How do we start thinking about automation, not just manual exploration of our testing? You know, because we had automated unit tests, but that's obviously limited in what that can test. It's not testing your interactions with your payment gateways or integrations with other systems or back office at your own company or whatever they are. So the evolution of how can we run these tests in an automated fashion so that we're not waiting for someone, you know, oh, we have to get it on their schedule or we're waiting for them to finish before it's ready. Instead, it becomes something that's really, even if you're, you know, you can say we have the QA embedded in the engineering team and that can work. It takes a lot of work to make that work and it takes the right match to make that work. Whereas, obviously, if, you, if we've decided that actually testing incorrectness is an engineering problem, much like, as you said, DevOps, of it's a way of saying, you know, DevOps is a way of saying, no, there's not this other operations team that sets stuff up. It's now something that is part of our engineering process. It's not an other group that is responsible. We are the ones responsible. And it definitely potentially expands what you need your engineers to know or be conversant in. But also, it lets smaller teams be much more effective to do more things. And it really keeps the integration and the vision that is much more of a holistic production. Because if you've had integration tests that have run and run and then they break, well, it broke. 
you know, there's no, there's no way around it. And so you can have bad tests where you know that they're flaky and that's its own challenge. And that's kind of similar to this, you know, when you can have an external group testing, but if you have tests that you trust because they pass all the time and they stop passing, obviously something has changed and it may be that the test is what's wrong, but it's because some behavior has changed. And so probably tells you like, oh, that's right. I know why that broke. That may also represent a disconnect somewhere else. And it kind of, it figures that identification and it really keeps that responsibility on the people who are making the changes and are closest to it, which I think is the healthiest, the most effective part. I, you know, I think of it as similar to DevOps where instead of, oh, I can't do this work because I need new instances spun up or new things configured. It's like, no, that's part of what you're doing with your job. Uh, you need to make sure that as this goes to production, it's going to get stood up in the proper way. I think that the move to more and more of a holistic view of the responsibility and the shared responsibility, to me, I've seen it. It has increased in some places the stress or the amount, like I said, the amount of things that the engineer is thinking about. The trade-off, though, is that there's no blocking by other teams. Responsibility is very clear. It lets the engineering team themselves really allocate time, effort, importance on these different pieces in an internal way that's balanced against their own work instead of, you know, oh, we're trying to argue for budget for two more QAs. And that's the sort of external thing. Instead, it's we have our own time, our own whatever. Are we prioritizing testing coverage? Are we prioritizing passing tests? You know, that's on us to figure out because we're the ones then who are paying the price if we don't do that because we're the ones clearly who allowed something to go out broken, that kind of thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Switching gears for a little bit, I want to talk about just like your current role and, and what the work that you do at Mobot. I think a, a common question or reaction that um, you know some of our audience members might be curious is, I think most of your career, you've been working on engineering teams that were very focused on like a SaaS or a software only solution that was delivered to market. What's special about Mobot is, of course, yeah, we have literal mechanical robots. You have to coordinate um, not only like the infrastructure of like setting all of that up, manufacturing it, installing it, put office stuff, uh, of course, like the firmware that runs on the robot. We have our own mobile app that we use to calibrate the phones that actually sit on the test bed. And then there's, of course, like our SaaS, our web interface where we get all the reports. Just like, what is it actually like to be an engineering leader at a company that has all of these other facets of engineering that you have to interface with besides like your sort of vanilla web app or mobile app that I think a lot of engineering leaders are normally uh, tasked to build out? Yeah, I think the surface area of the team, as you said, is so much broader because, for example, if you've, you're using AWS product as your messaging queue or something, you're kind of all consumed with that and you can figure out, you can figure out what's going on. But it's all kind of at that abstraction layer. Whereas for us, it's not the messaging queue, but for our things, it's like, oh, this isn't working. Well, you know, what we're seeing is software not working. But that doesn't mean it's software not working. It could easily certainly be something at a hardware level, which means it could be mechanical. It could be a failure in the board itself. It could be something happening in the physical environment there. You know, we, one of the th interesting things about our fleet of devices 
is that we have to pay attention to charging cycles and battery swelling. You know, so you can have what seems to be a perfectly reasonable phone. It works and it works. And then suddenly we're not registering taps the right way. And then you look at it, it's like, oh, well, the battery started to swell. So it doesn't fit flat like we expect it to. You know, that's not something that, you know, if you're writing React code, you're not worried about something swelling and drying it off. You know, you might be interacting with browsers or things, but it's all very circumscribed in the digital world. And so it's, it means that communication on the team is extremely important because full stack for us, I was talking about this with someone else on the team, is if you say full stack developer in the greater world, the SaaS world, that usually means like, oh, I can do front end, I, I can do database and back end services. For us, full stack means I can do React, I can do database, I can do firmware, I can do C, I can understand the mechanical interaction between the gears as they move around and think about how, how fast can our gantry move. And because that's so much deeper to be that full stack, you know, the number of people for, who are who keep the whole thing in the head, in fact, is approximately zero. So it really requires more communication, collaboration. It means there's lots of opportunity to learn things for everybody, you know, whether you're starting at the front and learning your way down, starting at the back and learning your way up. I really like the way that it requires folks to interact and trust each other and interact with each other. And there's nobody who can go off and do something on their own. It's really interesting in terms of the interaction between more and less experienced folks because it's easier for a less experienced person overall to still be an expert in a part of the stack that the more experienced person is not. And so I really enjoy that relationship and trade-off of expertise uh, and the dynamic that that creates. I would say that's one of the, the defining culture aspects of our team is that interaction with each other, the expectation of collaboration, and understanding that there's no one who can hero the thing on, them, on their own. We have to talk to each other to understand the, the other outlying pieces of where an actual challenge might be or how to implement something because not everything is only implemented on the firmware or in React. For example, there's too many different ways to interact with different one. You can tap, you can drag, you can pinch, and all those things. If we're adding a new action, that's everything. You know, we have to figure out how to do the action with the effector in defector. We have to have a user experience that lets you interact with that. And we have to kind of bring those things together. And so yeah, I really enjoy that aspect of our team culture that comes out of the incredible depth of the stack. It does mean there's less simple things than maybe there are uh, in other opportunities, but it has a really nice impact on the way the team operates for sure. When you first joined the company, do you feel like there was a lot that you had to ramp up on in terms of like mechanical engineering or robotics in order to kind of like lead the team or, um, you know, be able to provide folks and, and coach engineers, uh, provide folks with advice? Like, was there a lot of learning that you had to do to ramp up? Or is it that you feel like a lot of what you've learned working at other companies actually translates over even in a software-only world? I think both are true. I'm lucky enough to have some robotics in my background, so it wasn't brand new, the idea of hardware, of interacting with the physical world. You know, it's not my specialty, but I had at least enough background that I wasn't starting from absolute scratch. But also... I very strongly believe 
that the way that engineering teams operate, there's a lot of commonalities across companies. That was certainly one of the things I talked about to you as we were first meeting is, here's what I've been seeing be successful. Here's what I think applies kind of no matter what product you're building, the different requirements of communication, the prioritization of collaboration across the company, all these sorts of pieces in you know, the ways that you give engineers opportunities to grow, how they can interact with each other, how we keep track of what we're doing. A lot of that is at least semi-generalizable. It's not perfectly generalizable, which is why this is an interesting job and there's not just some uh, <laughs> SaaS product that you use to run your engineering team, but a lot of it does cross-apply. And I really, you know, to me, it's very much like an engineer taking a new job and saying, I've worked with databases before, I haven't worked with this database, but uh, you know, I, can, I know how to think about indexes and how to make it scale, and I'm going to use that here. So I, I think of it the same way of coming into new organizations and saying like, okay, here's the things that I've seen before, what are the techniques that work, what are the you know, technologies as an analogy that I've experienced in the past, what's different here, that's super important, certainly. When I started, you know, the first month or two, a lot of listening, very picky about places where I'm going to have a strong opinion or advocate for change because Mobot was already a successful company. You know, this wasn't a situation of, oh, nothing's working. Nobody likes each other. We maybe have to just really do lots of it. It's like, no, it was a growth opportunity, right? You know, we're growing. We know that some of the things that we're doing need to transition and, and scale. But there's also this history of how we've been doing things and some of the people are here because of that. And so, you know, I've been in circumstances where the, the new person comes in and is like, I know how things work. That's why I'm here. We're going to do this. I know you've done that. We're going to do it this other way. And certainly having been managed that way, that was not very enjoyable. And it's a high priority for me coming into a new situation to make sure that, you know, I'm affirming the things that and understanding the things that we're working and are working. And, you know, my job is to keep the team on continuous improvement, not tear things down, especially in, in areas that are core to the culture of the team or to the success of the company. Yeah, I think I, I can definitely see and a lot of the, what you believe has actually manifested. And I get I have the privilege of working with you basically every day. And, and I see how your values really do shine through there. You know, I think one of the things that has been special is, yeah, you found a way to like build a lot of new initiatives, build upon the culture that we have. But, you know, in a way that's not like we didn't have to throw anything else out. Exactly like you said, um, we already had a lot of great things, but there was just a lot of growth that we needed to go through in the last year. Um, and I think, you know, before you joined the company, I, I think we had sort of a core platform that we were starting to understand that. We had customers that were using Mobot. We had customers that were running tests. We were starting to identify uh, types of test cases that were going to be interesting for automation um, that would be useful to the market. But I think, yeah, what's been really cool is you've been helping to spearhead some initiatives at our company of just, you know, now that we know those are the kinds of things that people want to automate testing for, engineers want a way to be able to control a robot themselves. They want to be able to craft their own tests and they want to be able to see the analytics, see the reports and then make decisions and triage things. So I guess as a segue, I would love to, yeah, maybe you can explain a little bit more of just like, what are you currently working on? What's the future of Mobot? 
Um, and yeah, what makes you excited about what we're building? Yeah, I think right now for customers, Mobody is a testing platform that they interact with at a test case or a client level, you know, client customer level. They're not interacting with devices directly. And for some teams, that's obviously, that's ideal for them. They're really trying not to internalize some of this process, which means for some customers, the product that we're building is QA as a service. There are other teams where we're a little more embedded with their development group and they don't want QA as a service. They want a partner. They want tools to augment the team that they currently have. You know, they're having challenges testing across lots of manual devices because, you know, if you, especially if you're a young company, you don't want to go out and buy 200 phones to make sure your app works across all the different OS versions and hardware versions. But you know that it's important. You want to be able to test things on hardware every week without distracting and disrupting the team and process you already have. And so we're able to come in in those situations and act as a teammate. And I think what we've been able to do is having learned from both of those kinds of customers, figure out how can we allow customers to have more control. You know, I think that's one of the things about the platform right now is a customer controls what we test, but that it's, it's at that level. They aren't controlling the devices directly. They can go and read the reports about what testing happened. But if they wanted to say like, oh, I think we fixed it, they have to schedule testing with us again. They can't just go test it themselves in the same environment. You know, obviously they can test it locally, but presumably locally, they already tested it at work. The situation was that is when it's in the real world that it wasn't working. And so we've learned how our operators interact with the phones and devices, what things they need, what are the interaction patterns that come up. And we're building the exposure of that in a software way to customers. You know, we have lots of videos on the website of robots in motion. Whenever we talk to folks, as you, you know, as you said, with questions from the audience already is interesting about how the bots work. Oh, look at the bots. That's always really interesting. And it's cool because, you know, like someone's sitting next to the bot and they're interacting with it. What we're building now is going to allow anyone, you know, whether it's a customer in the same city as us and one of our operators on the other coast, a customer somewhere else in the world to be directly interacting with a robot in our bot lab, you know, in our data center. And it's unreal. You know, you get used to seeing the bots move as people are next to them. Now we have racks of bots where they're moving because someone else somewhere else is doing something. And it's wild. You know, it really feels magical to see testing happening that you don't have to be at your phone tapping. You can be somewhere else and be directly interacting very soon. People will be able to run their own automated tests on our devices. You know, they can run it on their schedule. It gives us a much broader spectrum of, of offerings to customers. You know, if you're a nimble engineering team and your know, device coverage is your struggle or hard work, you know, just generally finding a way to test hardware on a reliable cadence is difficult. You know, your budget is small or things are very well circumscribed you know, now you can interact and you can build your test case. You can run them in an automated fashion yourself. You know, it's approaching where we, you can start to integrate that into your continuous integration, continuous deployment platforms. Obviously, hardware is slower than simulators. So I think that's still a place where we're experimenting. 
but we already have a lot of interactions with customers where you know we are that last step in their build deploy is just sort of disconnected and it's kind of manually handled. Now they can build these webhooks into their own systems and say, okay, we get to, now we're going to push our button. These tests are going to run in mobile, you know, at midnight when our tip build is ready, not just when mobile has set things up for us. And it's really exciting to see that coming to fruition and to thinking, you know, this is still just the beginning of the platform because it doesn't take a ton of imagination to say like, okay, now anybody can interact with a device. We now have this infrastructure available, you know, in the way that AWS was really pioneering, like, okay, first you're running abstractions of hardware and it, that's become even more and more abstract. You know, we don't even talk about the things we deploy to as hardware instances anymore, even though it started that way. So, you know, right now we're offering this, you know, okay, I can go run this on a phone, but where does that take us? You know, how does that spread out? What are the kinds of things that you can do to really enable teams to build more reliable software? You know, usually the problems that teams are really excited to work on are improving their own product, not spending a week tracing down some ordinary bug in a corner case and soon being able to build the tools that let computers do the hard work, let robots do the hard work. It's super interesting. It's really exciting to see the delight on people's faces as they realize that they're the ones interacting with the phone. As you know, the, the videos they've seen of other people that they're paying a robot to do stuff is like, oh, now, oh, I told it to do that. Oh, it's running my thing on its own. It's super exciting. And it's really fun to see the ways it's going to just enable more and more workflows and companies to. You know, probably everyone listening to this podcast has a phone. Hopefully, we're helping everyone have better phone experiences with the apps that are important to your life. You know, your bank, your medical services, what have you. You know, I'm sure folks out there have had good and bad experiences with those kinds of applications. If we have the chance to improve that, that's super exciting. Yeah, I think some additional context for folks is where we are at right now with Mobot is all the way up until this point, for the last three, four years, we've been building a platform where essentially we have internal tools that allow uh, our team, our operators, to program the robot. And we've been kind of dogfooding that tool. It's a no-code interface where essentially you click on the screen where you want the robot to tap and uh, the robot will move accordingly. And we've been dogfooding that platform for the last few years with a number of different customers um, and using that to essentially deliver QA as a service. And, you know, you were mentioning operators have to be within a reasonable physical proximity of the robot in case, you know, something needs to get adjusted or recalibrated or, um, you know, get the robot back on track. But we are now at a point where we have a video feed, uh, a camera feed of the, the robot so that you don't have to be next to the robot. You could be, yeah, like you said, halfway around the world um, and be able to intervene and just observe a robot and get it back on track. And if that is something that we're opening up to our team so that they could operate a robot remotely, then it is something that we can also open up to customers as well, which is very compelling and I think gets us closer to that dream of it feels very much like other tools on the market in testing that folks are familiar with, but gives you the additional fidelity and rigor of physical real-world testing to cover all those edge cases that 
it's just not possible to cover with software. Yeah. Thank you so much, Steve. I really enjoyed this conversation and just also diving in a little bit deeper with you. I think a lot of folks are very curious of just like with the world of physical robotics and hardware and mechanical engineering that we get, have the privilege of dealing with at our company. I think folks are always kind of interested in getting that insider perspective. So thanks for joining me on this episode. Thanks, Eden. That's all we have time for it today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Team Mobot. That's T-E-A-M-M-O-B-O-T. This show is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor in developer-first startups. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com.